This week on the Straight Talk and Mental Health Podcast, we are talking to Will Craig about what it's like to lose a partner. That's a point in my life where, frankly, if I'm being honest, I didn't want to be alive anymore. I didn't outright decide I'm going to make an active attempt to kill myself. But what I did was have a sort of reckless abandon for how I carried myself in my life. Got into a relationship with a woman. Her name is Allison. And we were together about a year. And out of nowhere... Um, she died unexpectedly. The part that hurt probably the most that was like all encompassing was I felt so incredibly alone in my experience and in my struggle. I felt so alone because I knew I, I had been through something terrible and I can come out the other side. That doesn't change that what I'm feeling is fucking awful and I would never wish it on anyone in the world. But I have belief in myself that I can figure this the fuck out and I will. Thank you for sticking me in your ear holes. Thank you for sticking me on your speaker. Or thank you for watching on YouTube. Thank you for tuning in to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast. The podcast that is so simple, it's all there. Straight Talking Mental Health. The little podcast that makes a big difference. And we make that difference by straight talking mental health. Not to sugarcoat it. Not to pretend everything is great when it's not. We're not into toxic positivity. We're here to just talk about our experiences. When I say we, I'm talking about myself, Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist with a degree in counseling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. Later on, I will be joined by Mr. Will Craig all the way from the States, currently down in Florida. Will is here to talk about what it's like to lose a partner. Will's girlfriend unfortunately died whilst just in her mid-twenties. Will's here to tell us about his mental health journey, how his mental health had suffered pre the loss of his girlfriend and what it was like afterwards. But he's also here to offer hope of how much life can turn around and whilst facing suicide and given serious contemplation to no longer being on this planet, uh, Will has now turned his life around and he's got a great inspiring story. So if you have ever lost a partner, a girlfriend or boyfriend, partner, husband, uh, or been widowed, this this story may may resonate with you. Before we get into talking to Will, just a quick plug on the social media channel, folks. You know what it is by now. All across the board on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. The username is at STMH Podcast. If you haven't already, whilst you might normally listen to the podcast, you can also view it on YouTube. And the username and the handle on YouTube is also at STMH Podcast. If you could give a click, a subscribe there, hit like, get notified, all of that sort of stuff. Drop in a comment. That's really going to help. You know, I love I love hearing from everybody that checks it out or that has feedback on any of our guests or relates to some of the topics that have been discussed. That would really be a huge help. And a very enjoyable experience to, to read that and to interact with the other listeners that may be out there. So if you happen to check out the YouTube channel, hit click, hit click, subscribe, like, all that sort of stuff. You know what to do. If you haven't checked out the website, you can do that. There you can search for all our previous episodes. I know you can search on Google and stuff like that. But if you go onto the website, some of them are tagged and, you know, keywords are there and all of that. So you can go onto the website. And the website is www.stmhpodcast.com. And if you'd like to come on to be a guest, you can slide into the DMs on any social media. That's absolutely fine. But you can also drop an email. And the email address is hello at stmhpodcast.com. There you can 
send in your story. If you don't want to come on to be a guest and you just like to have your story read out, we can do that. That's no problem at all. And if you have, if you're a publicist for authors and stuff like that, and all other people get in touch that way, uh, that's absolutely fine as well. So if you don't want to get in contact, hit up the email or hit up any of the social media. And that is the social media plug out of the way. To get to some of the social media, many, many times over the podcast, you would have heard some correspondence from Raymond. Haven't heard from Raymond in a long time, but Raymond is a regular listener to the podcast, and he has always checked in with us around his own mental health journeys and the, the struggles he's been in. And uh, had a uh, message from uh, Raymond on Facebook, so thanks very much, Raymond. Lovely to hear from you. So if you want to get in contact, you know what I said, you know what to do. I told you the, the uh, Facebook page is at SDMH Podcast. So just a quick one from Raymond. Hey everyone, just to drop by, I'm doing great, had a few med changes, all has worked out, taking less meds also, yay, would like to do nothing, but I am realistic, as far as I know, bipolar issues don't go away, I'm also a year and a half sobered, yay, again, I would like to give all of you some credit in my joy, thanks for all the podcasts, thank you STMH, Raymond. Raymond, lovely to hear from you, and so glad to hear how long you've been sober, absolutely fantastic achievement for anyone that's struggled with any sort of addiction or uh, mental health difficulties and maybe you know those mood modifiers whether it be drink or drugs are, are utilized to escape so fantastic to know you're doing better and lovely to hear from you please keep in contact with us as, as you go along normally at this point if you watch on youtube i give a little ding up into the top corner and that is usually where i plug last week's episode for any of the eagle-eyed viewers um i've considered what to say around around this topic uh there was no episode or there was very briefly an episode on our topic last week which was bullying um very unfortunate because i thought it was a great episode i thought it was a a topic that um, needed to be covered and will be covered again in future if you have experienced bullying please let me know if you'd like to come on and tell your story unfortunately once the episode went live the guest from last week asked for it to be pulled now, the podcast is a mental health podcast. We talk about mental health. We tell our stories. I tell my story. Every guest on the podcast comes out and tells their story. Um, and the podcast has never been anything what the fucking title says it is. Straight talking mental health. The guests asked for the episode we pulled. We've never pulled an episode in the history of the podcast. We have had some very established people, uh, authors, uh, people in the public eye and have never asked for the episode to be pulled given the I suppose given the topic of it and given the previous guest's age I decided to uh, it wasn't a decision I made easily and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest it wasn't a decision I wanted to do either because as I said no one has ever in the history of the podcast in almost three years no one has ever asked for the, for the episode to be pulled I've always operated the podcast on good faith. Guests reach out. 95% of the time, well, probably 98% of the time, guests reach out to come onto the podcast. Very, very seldom. I might reach out to someone that I might like the sound of, uh, who I think would have a good story, and, and we you know ask for them to come on. But every other, every other time, the guests reach out to come onto the podcast. They come on, they... Uh, you know, you have to trust that. Well, do your do your research. It is the podcast you're coming on. Do your research. Know what you're talking about. Know what you're getting into. Same way as whenever I'm a guest on a podcast, I'll check out previous episodes. Uh, if they ask me, you know, I'll check out what it's about to know if I am a good fit for that podcast. 
Um, I don't know whether this guest did or didn't, or whether something was said or unsaid, whatever, on the on the topic of last week's episode. Uh, but they asked for it to be pulled. I kind of said we don't really pull podcasts. Try to um, talk around it. Wasn't happening. The guest made a very um, clear point. Well, since we don't have a podcast a contract, then you know, perfectly within the rights to do that, uh, which they are, as I also could have claimed, well, also perfectly within my rights to say no, but I didn't. Um, I respected the request and given the, the person's age, that was the reason I did it, really. If it was someone older, I probably would just felt, well, this is the podcast, but, you know, it's a grown-up world and when you operate in a grown-up world, you operate by, by grown-up rules. So, unfortunately, moving forward, there will be terms and conditions for any person that's looking to come on to be a guest. And that is no one under the age of 21. I'm really, truly sorry if you are under that age and you've got a story to tell. It won't be happening in the future. There will also be uh, a contract of understanding that when the episode goes out, the episode goes out. The condition for that to be pulled after that will be you will pay my day rate. And I can assure you that's a, a substantial amount. Uh, because a lot of work goes into these podcasts. You know, that's not the hours of interviews that goes on. That's typically, and I've been fine-tuning the podcast. I've been fine-tuning the editing of the podcast because it's been almost three years. Peter started out editing the podcast. I, I took over then when, when Peter got busy, and then ever since then, it's been all me. So every single bit of the podcast is me. The interviews, the editing, the social media, all of that. Ashing used to help out on the TikTok. But with... All of that fine-tuning, with all of that templates in place, trying to speed up the whole process. Editing the podcast takes approximately six hours. That's six hours just editing the podcast. That's not including the hours recording the interviews. That's not including the social media posts, pulling clips, uh, quote posts, anything like that, any of the stuff that you see on social media. So that takes an awful lot of time. And to put out an episode and for it all to be for naught uh, is disheartening. I'm not going to lie, it really and truly is to have to have to do that. And not only that, because, you know, our listeners are out there. I've never missed a week. The episode isn't up on YouTube. I've never missed a week of the podcast in all of that time, ever. And that's something that I've always been proud of. Uh, so you will not see the episode on YouTube. You won't see me point up to the top corner to go check out last week's episode. But they are the conditions for any person that's coming on in the future. Uh, you have to be over 21. You will sign a contract stating that the the episode goes out and where it doesn't, you will pay my day rate for the hours of time of my work invested into that episode. So, like I said, unfortunately, we've always operated in good faith. Out of all of the, you know, recognized authors, public figures that we've had on, that's never been the case. No one, no publicist has ever come on and go, oh, we don't like this, we don't like that, et cetera, et cetera. But unfortunately, uh, moving forward, that will be the terms of which the, the podcast, to be a guest, that is what's going to be required. So I'm very sorry, folks. Not something I want to do, but unfortunately, you know, this is when you get bit like this, you got to put something in place to protect yourself in the future. So I'm very sorry if you missed the episode on, on YouTube last week. Uh, it's not there. It was, was there briefly, uh, but not there anymore. So... Just to get out of the way, folks, um, as I said, a very disheartening experience, but lesson learned, I guess. With more lessons to be learned, let's hear from Will. So this week on the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, we are crossing back over to the States. 
I'm guessing, although I've been caught out with that before with people's accents, they're not where they're, they're not where the accent says that they're from. But I'm going to go ahead and guess that we're crossing over to the States again. As we talk to this week's guest, Mr. Will Craig. Am I right, Will? Yes, you are correct. In the States. I am, I am in the States. Good call. Good call out. No one would mistake you. I've, I've attempted a few accents in my day and never has it gone well. So I'll just keep, I'll stick to what I know. Cool. And whereabouts in the States are you? I'm in Florida, uh, Tampa, just outside of Tampa area. You've had some, uh, had some success down there recently with, with Mr. Brady. <sighs> Something like that. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's been fun to watch, uh, but you know, he comes down and because everyone, the cool thing to me about his story is, you know, there, for a long time it was like, oh, is he any good? Is he a system mm. guy? Bill Belichick, he built this whole thing up. And then he said, you know what? Forget you guys. I'm going to go down south to a team that hasn't been to a, a Super Bowl in God knows how long. Mm. And my first year, <laughs> Super Bowl. Like, wow. who does that? John Brady, yeah. that's who does that. So, um, <laughs> for, for our listeners that aren't where we are talking NFL, we're talking American football. <laughs> very true. And, very true. Uh, I was I was a massive, massive American football fan uh, back in the eighties. My team were the were the Forty Niners and Joe Montana and all of that. The only and, person from Europe I've ever met. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that that was my team back in the day. But and then I fell out of it. Uh, got interested in some other things, and then I was like the fuck the Buccaneers are doing something that used to be like the worst team in the league <laughs> absolutely that's, like, that's Brady <laughs> <laughs> no 100% that's exactly what it is it's amazing what happens when you put the right leader in the right position to succeed I mean mm. who knows what else could have been accomplished but now he sa- he says he's done he says he's done I'll believe it yeah, when the season yeah. starts yeah yeah I kind of believe him this time I think I think he might be gone this time who knows? I mean, good for him. I mean, he's had a heck of a career. He has nothing to prove to anybody. I thought it was interesting that he came back this last year. I was hoping to get cheaper yeah. season tickets. <laughs> before we get into your story, we've had Tom Brady's story. But before we get into your story, Will, as our regular listeners to the podcast will know, we have our feature called Smiles and Riles. That's something that's got us smile recently or something that's got us riled. Either something that's pissed us off or got us down or anything like that. As the guest... It's your choice, Will. Do you want to go with a Ryle first or do you want to go with a smile first? I'll go with the Ryle first. Oh, good man. Kick it off. Straight in. Yeah, straight in. Let's, let's, let's get punched in the mouth. You know, something that really <laughs> riles me up that I see so often is this need for perfection. And I, and I heard a quote from a friend recently that I think sums up the better way to describe how we should be approaching these things in our lives. Done is better than perfect. Done is better than perfect because perfect is simply a vantage point. It is something that we believe we see sometimes in certain moments and we'll never truly be able to recreate. If you are only after the game for perfection, you will never accomplish anything in your fucking life. You just won't. You just can't do it. But if you say I'm done and I can get better each and every time, that's what it is. But I meet so many young people that are you know, so scared they're going to make the wrong step or they're going to do the wrong thing, or they're going to date the wrong person, or they're going to change the wrong, you know, pick the wrong job, whatever the case may be. And they're so scared of making that mistake that they don't make any, they don't make any steps Mm -hmm. and they don't make any progress. Mm -hmm. And then they look at themselves at age 35, 40, 50, 60, and they wonder what the fuck happened. And that's, that breaks my heart so much. And it gets Mm -hmm. me clearly riled up. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, to quote the great one, as we we had American football, we quote got the ice hockey with Gretzky. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. So you, but yeah, absolutely, and that's that perfectionism, and I, and I would and I would say it to clients the whole time of you know good enough. You need to find the good enough because what is perfect, you know. And uh, I I prefer your one though. Done is better than perfect. I think that's that's an excellent expression. And I will tell you now, will as I tell all clients when they give me something good, I'm robbing that. One hundred percent. But uh, but I never claim it. I never claim it as my own. I, I just like I didn't want to claim it. I'll give you. I'll give you full kudos. No, he. I, a friend of mine said it to me the other day, and it just clicked because it, it summed up perfectly. Something I'm not always great at is I'm very long winded, and I love when people can be more concise about mm, what I'm mm. trying to describe. And that summed it up perfectly. Done is better than perfect. You can always get better, but you can't, if you're focused so much on that perfection, it's just going to, it's going to debilitate you. Yeah. Love that one. A good Royal. <laughs> I'm going to fucking jump right into deep end here. Will. let's uh, do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about this let's, one. Let's I'm going to fuck you right in. Um, with a pretty, I'm coming in hot. I'm coming, I'm coming in very hot. As we record, there was a, um, a police officer in Northern Ireland was shot over here in Oma. Our regular listeners to the podcast will know uh, my partner, Ashling, she lives up in Oma. So I'm up there nearly every second weekend. Um, Oma is the site of one of the most famous bombings of the IRA, Catholic, Protestant, all of that sectarianism that went along, the Oma bombing. Back in the 90s, thankfully Ashling was out of the country, so she she wasn't affected by it. Yeah, so the problem the problem being is that this this uh, as far as I know, a high ranking officer in the PSNI was shot while coaching children's football. So he was multiple times shot in front of children, uh, which is traumatic and horrendous in and of itself. But my fear is that this is a return to the bad old days. Uh, apparently, some uh, dissident Republican group have claimed responsibility for it. A couple of people have been arrested. I'm, I'm hoping it's the shooters and not just someone that's been taken in for questioning. But there is a likelihood that things can go back. Northern Ireland has been a rocky kind of subject since Brexit, since uh, uh, Britain left the, the European Union. Uh, Northern Ireland has been fucked out on its own, totally forgotten about in all of this. And as someone that drives uh, a car registered in the Republic of Ireland, I drive around up in Oma quite frequently and there was bad old days where I remember one time, actually I was up in Derry last week, that would be my smile to talk about that, um, and I remember probably about 15 years ago doing a play up there and we were travelling to the venue and the hotel said, when are you coming in, what time are you coming in, okay, park in the, park in the underground car park, you've got Southern Reg cars, don't park on the streets, come straight in, travelling convoy and we're like, what the fuck? Um. So, no, no one, no one on the island wants to go back to those days. So that, that's that's my royal this week. It's a fucking big win. I told you I was going to. Told you I was fucking in the deep end there. I went, I went straight oh, in. <laughs> that I mean, but it's worth talking. About. I mean, this is. I mean, mm. I mean. So, what kind of fears do you have? Are you talking about going back to the old days? You know, what's what's the most central fear for you? Well, it's it's sectarianism. It's Protestant against Catholic. Well, it's people hiding behind things like Protestant and Catholic. Republican and Unionist, um, and that's 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 my fear is that the senseless killing returns, um, hidden hidden behind causes. I use quotation marks, um, and and that's my fear. You know, people with unresolved issues they get projected onto other people, and um, lots of people die then as a result of that. So 
criminality hidden hidden behind a cause. No one wants it. So no one no one on the island wants that. We've we've been doing all right since the nineties in the Good Friday Good Friday Agreement. So uh, let's keep that going if we can. I'm hoping for it for you. Big Royal, big Royal, buddy. <laughs> let's 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 get rid of that. Hit me with a smile. You gotta you gotta have a smile for me. Smile for me. You know something that uh, makes me really smile. <clears throat> I have <clears throat> the new. I have a new nephew. Uh, he's 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 you know not even a year old yet, and just watching the fearlessness that sits within him and he's got, I have other nephews as well. And they're all, I mean, they're three boys under five, but the fearlessness that sits in each one of them and for granted, they don't know to be afraid. Right. That's, that's the core mm. of it. You get older, you develop those fears, but I watch them and it's, it's, it's reckless abandon in its most beautiful form. It is. Let's climb this. Let's try that. And, you know, there's a lesson to be had for all of us in that. You know, why we lose that as we get older because we know to be afraid. We know mm. that if we mm. fall off this, we can hurt ourselves. We know that if we make the wrong step, it goes back to that perfectionist thing. If we do those things, there are consequences. We are now painfully aware of those consequences. But, man, I just watch those kids and all I want to do is just say, I want to take some of that with me. I want to take that into things that are doing this podcast with you. You know, I, we, we barely know each other. And mm. to me, it's like, why not dive into the deep end? What's the worst that happens? It was a weird experience yeah. and we both move on with our lives, but yeah. maybe we have some really meaningful conversation here. Maybe we're both better for it. And then in the process, move a conversation forward in mental health. That's a pretty great uh, opportunity that can be missed simply because I'm too afraid. I, I had a friend ask me that. Like, what are you going to say? I'm like, I, you know, we're going to figure it out. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. But what I will, what scares me more is knowing that my fear let me get in the way of meaningful change. So. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I don't know why, maybe because we started talking about Tom Brady, then we went to Gretzky. <laughs> but I know, um, and any of the greats, any of the greats in sport or, you know, at the top of their game, they always tell you that they just tried and failed way more than everyone else. Mm -hmm. that's that's how they got better they had more failures that just didn't stop them yeah i think michael jordan in american basketball he talks about that he's like you know i've i've been trusted x amount of times to trace the game morning shot and i've missed i have failed over and over and over again that is why i succeed um and there's a great there's a great quote i don't know if you follow him on social media his name's alex Ramosi, and he actually talked about this uh he says i can't lose if i don't quit I can't lose if I don't quit. And I, and I talk and I talk about a similar mindset um, in the, the book I wrote, which is this idea that life isn't a game, like a basketball game or a football game or anything else. It's not that simple. It's not that binary. And this idea that <clears throat> there's a, a set win or loss mm. is there's no good way to quantify that in life. Not really anyway, because if you woke up the next morning, you have every chance to start the life that you want it to be. That doesn't make it easy. That doesn't make it fun all the time. That doesn't mean anything else. But assuming you woke up the next morning, the game isn't over. And if the game isn't over, then you haven't lost yet. Mm -hmm. or, or as I think Nelson Mandela also put it well. He said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. So that's mm -hmm. 
Yeah, twenty four more hours the next day. You get to, you get to reset, go again. Yeah, and that's and that's what we should all kind of look for. And it goes, you know, go, so going back to my nephews, it's you know watching that. You know, if we're going to take that mindset, if we're going to say you get that time over again, what's there to be afraid of? I mean, anything that anything that happens in your life, no matter how bad or how awful it is, if it didn't kill you. Mm-hmm then you have a chance to start rebuilding whatever it is. You have a chance to grow from it. You have a chance. I've been in some pretty shitty positions, frankly, in my life where I've, and and frankly, all of them (laughs) self-inflicted. And self-sabotaging. We can go on a whole tangent about self-sabotage. But all it took to start was me going one day, I want this to be different. I want a different outcome with my tomorrow. And when you do that, it's not a monumental change tomorrow, but it's one decision. It's one step forward. It is one move forward that we can say, okay, this was better. And the next day was better. And then you'd be surprised. You can wake up five years from now realizing a life that you never dreamed would happen. I'm still, I wake up in my day and I cannot believe like the life that I have right now compared to where it was seven years ago. Mm. We'll get into all of that. I think you're you're absolutely right with the kids and the fearlessness. And we had uh, we had Suzanne on um, about a month ago or so. She was on talking postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And I think I think her description for her kids was they're little suicide machines. They're just they're just <laughs> constantly trying to kill themselves. <laughs> that fearlessness. That yeah. fearlessness to the extreme. Like again, they don't know to be afraid. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a cautionary tale in there. But nonetheless, they, I mean, suicide machines. I mean, that's that's mm. a good way to put it. Oh. Yeah, but they learn. Unfortunately, we lose some of that. We lose some of that curiosity, and we've had that with some of our guests talking about that before. That that curiosity that we that we lose along the way. But kids are great, particularly around that age. You, you'll definitely see his own little personality coming out. And in in Ireland, we have we have uh, we have an expression called the crack. You know, you're having the crack. That's that's good fun. Not not the crack that you might have over in the states. <laughs> we have C R A I C, not C R A C K. Yeah, very different thing. Um, but we have the crack, and 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 young kids around around the year, like you know, they're great crack. They're great fun. They're they're great personalities, and they're into everything. <laughs> let's. I'm gonna take that, and I'm gonna bring that over to the states because I'm gonna. I want to take away the old crack. Let's 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 focus <laughs> yeah. on the new crack. The new, crack. new crack. Here it let's is. Crack two point oh. Crack two point oh. It's a rebrand, everybody. Yeah. We're starting over. <laughs> we need a big initiative marketing wise. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. I will be the spokesperson for new. All right. you, you've got me smiling here, Will. So I'm going to segue nicely in, into my smile then. So my smile this week is uh, some, uh, related to what I was saying earlier around the sectarianism and stuff like that. I was uh, previously up in Derry. Uh, as we record, Valentine's was kind of last week, two weeks ago. But myself and my partner were in a long distance relationship. She's in Northern Ireland. I'm in Southern Ireland. So we we kicked out uh, Valentine's for for the weekend. So I had a very romantic uh, Valentine's weekend, which started out with a very disappointing meal, and Ashling Ashling booked a very <laughs> shit place. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't know. I just went under reviews. I was like, yeah, that's all right, but let's look at what the sort of place is. So we're like, well, that's not your fault. And then we went to a living autopsy. Which was, I know, yeah. <laughs> I've never this heard was, that term. Yeah, this was super cool. So to have like, there's like a, a an actor who who absolutely fair play to him, never stirred for about an hour and a half while the, while they did it. So it was these two uh, pathologists, I believe, 
and they're going like, oh, this is how we do, it was part of Northern Ireland Science Week. It's like, oh, this is how we do uh, an autopsy. You know, so we'll cut here, we cut here, we, we cut down here, and then we snip the, the muscles in between your, your sternum and your ribs. And, and they're giving all these interesting facts. And I was like, I came away and I was like, that was fucking brilliant. I love that. Because Ashley's like, do you want to go to that? I was like, yeah, I want to fucking go to that. I want to nerd out big time. like. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that started awesome. off the weekend. Yeah, and so for our listeners, here's, here's, here's two very interesting facts that I learned. One, your gallbladder is green. I did not know that. I didn't know there was anything in your body that was green. But I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, I yeah. didn't know anything in my body was supposed to be green. Yeah, but apparently your gallbladder is green. And as, as a psychotherapist who deals with psychology and the brain and all of that sort of stuff, I'm very interested in neuroscience. And apparently your brain, if you were to hold it, is just like jelly. And it would eventually just drip through your fingers. So it's not a meaty kind of substance. It's a panna cotta jelly kind of substance that will just drip through your fingers so that's where all this shit comes from this lump of jelly in your brain driven by electricity and and chemicals that causes all this stop trouble recording for us. now i just learned more in that <laughs> last five minutes than i've learned all week so. there you go so that, that that's what happens when you when you go to a, a pathologist talk about an autopsy so that 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 was it and then we went for uh we did we, we did the romance bit then on the on the Saturday, okay. we went to we went to Finlock. We went to this lovely resort and uh, had a lovely dinner there. We we did better than we did on Friday, so that was that was a lovely weekend and kicked off some romance with an autopsy. So. <laughs> you know, one man's autopsy is another man's romance, and hey, there you go. There I'm you go. To, yeah. I'm here to tell you how to live your life, and that's what works for yeah. you. That's the beautiful. Part. A great a great expression I got off a client before. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum. I love that. I have I I know. heard it. Recently. I was like, I, oh, that is so good. That is so I, good. Don't I don't know yum. where I heard it, but I remember hearing it. And I was like, what a great line. Because it's true, though. There's a really fair point to be made there about yucking on someone's yum. Or mm. for those who are a little confused by what that statement means, to me, what it always means is it's not just, it doesn't have to be for me for mm. it to be good. You know, mm. I, you know, popular in the world now is, um, in movies, for instance, you know, it's like, oh, people love Marvel movies or they hate Marvel movies. Yeah and, yeah. and it's like, why would you want to take away someone's happiness? You don't have to watch it. You don't have to like exactly. it. That's okay. That's oh, okay. Yeah. Why would you want to take that away? But I want it. I, I am not, I would not subscribe myself to be a Taylor Swift fan, let's say. Mm. I, I have nothing against Taylor Swift. She just, from what I understand, she makes a lot of people happy. That's the point. I would, while well, I'm not going to go to the concert, I want that for everybody. If you are a Swifty, I want you to love that to your core. <laughs> and I want it to bring you so much happiness in the world, mm. whether it does for me or not. And who knows? Maybe I should. I, I say that, all that about her, but then I have at least six of her songs memorized because they're so damn catchy. <laughs> the player's going to play. Yeah, yeah. With all of that, let's just shake it off, Will. We'll shake it off. <laughs> We're, now we, we have go. to boom, the whole boom. The rest of the podcast. We have to make Taylor Swift references. Let, let's. Oh no, fuck! I know about. That's all I know. <laughs> I know it's shaking off. I honestly couldn't name another one of her songs. So if well, you, you know, can sift them in, please do. Will I, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna see if I can. Yeah, do yeah, this. yeah. This I fucking challenge. love a challenge. If I knew more songs, I would be so on top of this. I'd be like, I fucking love this idea. With all of that being said, Will, let's get into it. We're a we're a let's mental health podcast. Let's get into. The mental health and let's let's start that with just telling us we know what you do we know the industry you're working but outside of that tell us a little bit about yourself down in down in florida absolutely so i guess i should start with i'm not originally from florida i am from indiana uh so i decided i hated the cold uh, about a year and a half ish ago 
uh, and so moved to Florida. My 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 day job. I work for a company called Conga. We're a software company. Uh, we and my job with them is managing some of our customer relationships. Um, and actually, through that, it's been really cool because, <clears throat> along with the software that we develop, uh, something that we've been kind of spearheading is employee resource groups, or we call them colleague resource groups. Um, and so great representation for minority groups and things like that. And so I raised my hand and said, well, what about a mental health fund? What about a mental health CRG where we can build upon those things? And, you know, mental health has been very pa- a big passion of mine. I've been blogging about mental health and my journey for, oh gosh, five years, roughly four or five years. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I, I had to run with it. So, um, my favorite part of it is we host this monthly meeting where even in a corporate setting, we hop on a Zoom call and people share all sorts of things from their own mental health journeys, things that you would never hear a normal person talk talk about. And I say normal in a normal conversation at work, but we've created an environment where people can feel comfortable sharing their personal struggles, sharing their experiences, and we touch on so many different subjects that are, you know, maybe considered taboo, but they're necessary. To pretend that anyone at a work environment is not human is absurd. It's an absurd notion. And so we want to bring that human side back to the business. And, um, and so that's something that I've been working on recently. Uh, the, you know, a little bit more about my background um, and kind of why I reached out to you about doing the podcast is um, I've been on quite a mental health journey as over, I would say about the last seven or so years. Um, it started with, you know, I was about 2015 and so what would that be? I guess that's actually eight years now. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, I was in a really difficult part of my life where I was at a job that I was miserable at and my relationship had moved to a long distance relationship and it ended up, we ended up not working out. Um, and so, and I was not living up to what I felt was the expectation that I had set for myself, which years later in therapy, I realized it was an expectation that I made up that didn't have to exist, but I felt I owed everyone and wasn't worthy of them. And led to a point in my life where, frankly, if I'm being honest, I didn't want to be alive anymore. I didn't outright decide I'm going to make an active attempt to kill myself. But what I did was have a sort of reckless abandon for how I carried myself in my life and was very comfortable with the idea. I would literally find myself sitting in loops watching TV shows and being like, well, I'm not going to be alive to see the next season. So I guess it's, none of this really matters. Um, but thankfully, you know, my, my parents kind of grabbed me. My dad showed up unexpectedly one day in my apartment. I lived about four hours driving from them. And he <clears throat> kind of just grabbed me and said, you know, son, we got to get you home. We got to get you better. And we have to, you know, it was forget the expectations, forget what is needed. Like all that mattered was that I was there and I was happy and I, and I was seen. And that was such a transformative experience for me for, you know, I, I give my dad a shot, but it's also my mom, you know, of course, and there's the natural, like what the fuck kind of happens, but you know, the way they both kind of, changed their entire approach to me and it became this idea of 
I just want to see you happy. I just think they don't, they may not even remember this if they ever listen to this podcast, but um, I just think they remember one time I was on the phone with my friend. I was staying at their house and I was on the phone with my friend and I started laughing pretty loud. I'm a pretty loud guy. And I came downstairs and they were both smiling and I said, yeah, what's going on? And they said, it was nice to see you laughing again. It was just nice to see you happy again. And mm-hmm. I kind of started finding myself. Uh, so as I started kind of healing and growing and getting better, um, I also got into a relationship with them. Her name is Allison. And we were together about a year. And out of nowhere, um, she died unexpectedly. I had just spent the weekend at her apartment um, and came on Monday morning and I hadn't heard from her all day. I reached out to her roommates. No one had heard from her that day. So I go to the apartment. I'm trying to break down the door. I mean, just quite literally trying. And then um, in that moment, I found myself in a really difficult position of, you know, I had to figure out what, what was going on. Her car was there. Something's wrong. And so I called emergency maintenance and they were able to go inside. And that's where she was. She was, you know, we called the paramedics, we called the police. Um, but she was already gone by that point. Um, just one of those things where, you know, it's probably an undiagnosed medical condition that, you know, people weren't aware of. And, um, but that kind of, it's, it's both grief and trauma that you're mm-hmm. talking about there. That's a traumatic thing to sit there and, and, and beyond that. And yeah, even that night I found myself at the police station answering questions and, you know, trying to figure out and frame it. I, you know, I've never seen, I've never seen a copy of that interview, but I would pay a lot of money to watch that just cause I would be curious to know what kind of frame of mind I was in. Um, and are the questions in your will or I mean really just trying to gather information and you know okay. she was in her mid she was in her mid 20s you know there's no reason that that should be the case so um, I mean nothing nothing too serious I mean they are they were questioning asking a lot of questions I mean frankly I, I do recall them asking even about our sex life you know because they're trying to get a, a picture of you know you know what what could have gone wrong here mm. you know and uh, I remember thinking in my head I was like oh god I hope my dad doesn't hear that <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, I'm like, what? am I here? It is. Well, <laughs> that's fine. You know, he, he, he knows about it after the fact. Um, mm. But no, but that, that kind of set me on a path. Uh, I was so lost in that period of my life. And so for me, it really came down to opening myself up. I mean, obviously like I remember distinctly sitting down with both my parents and my grandparents and, and them looking at me and saying, you know, well, what are you looking at? You need to go to therapy. You, you, this is this is not really something that should be up for debate. Like they didn't force mm-hmm. me, but they were just kind of like, I don't know how you get through something. You're not supposed to think like the way my grandpa put it. You're not supposed to know how to deal with this. Yeah. You, I was 25 years old. Yeah. You're not supposed to know what happens when a loved one dies. That's something you experience much later in life. And um, so I went to therapy, and that was kind of my first real, real for. I had been to a therapist before, like one or two times, but nothing, nothing super substantial. Um, but this was kind of my first big, like, I'm going to go through, I'm going to go into this. And and I remember going into that thinking like, oh, I'm just a broken toy that needs fixing. And I was so stupid for that, frankly. That's not how you have to look at therapy. But in therapy, part of the practices I did was writing letters to various things, 
mm-hmm. writing letters to my future self or even my past self in the future later on. That was an exercise I did. Um, writing, I mean, I'm not religious, but I, you know, if there, you know, I, I also acknowledge the fact that I could be wrong and maybe a God does exist. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh, so I wrote a letter to, a, if there is a God, I got some fucking questions for you. You know, and I wrote a letter to, I wrote a letter to Allison. I wrote a letter to all sorts of people uh, and, and places and things. Um, and then eventually, as I was starting to kind of come out the other side from that, I realized that whether it's that period of depression in 2015 or my experience after this loss, the part that hurt probably the most that was like all encompassing was I felt so incredibly alone in my experience and in my struggle. I felt so alone and that no one was going to understand and nobody was going to get it and nobody was going to believe me and no one was going to be there. No one was going to get it. And frankly, the world was just better off without me. And so what I realized in that moment was, you know, I think potentially maybe someone will benefit from me sharing my story. If I share my experiences, if I am open and honest and, and I go back and read some of it sometimes I'm like, you're kind of full of shit there, but it's okay. That's part of the journey. Mm. But I started blogging and started writing and I would talk about everything, talk about grief, talk about suicide, talk about love, talk about things that were going on in my life with the hope being that if the, the name of the blog was, uh, or is, I should say, uh, the battle you know not. And it derives from the quote, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And that's the whole point is that we're all fighting a battle, whether we like it or not. And we have to be willing to share that. And there's all sorts of social studies that'll come out to say, if one person steps forward, you subconsciously give everyone else the power to do the same. And so this is my one step forward. And then that eventually a friend of mine who is a full-time writer, uh, about three and a half months ago, kind of challenged me and said, why don't you write a book? So I did. And I wrote a book called One Step Forward. Funny enough, I didn't even plan to work that into any of this stuff, <laughs> but that just kind of happened that way. But um, yeah, so I kind of compiled all my thoughts, all my ideas. It didn't take mostly from the blog. I didn't do any of it. I did a little bit, but for the most part, it's kind of where do I see the world today and what's helped me and what's grown and and then through that experience, I've kind of been reaching out to people like yourself, Alan, and, and other mm-hmm. folks who are like-minded in the mental health journey and having a true, honest look at what it means to explore your psyche. And I'm just passionate about this. And so mm-hmm. why not put it out there and see what we can do? <laughs> Excellent. As I said, we're, we're trying to reach people around us, Will, and part of that is letting them know they're not alone. Um, for the people that are experiencing grief or the people that have lost a partner, what was your experience of that like? I mean, you you find her, you you found her, you were there when she was found. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't actually get to go in the room. Mm. Um, they because they I mean it was her apartment. And I called the emergency made because I wanted someone that had keys to the place to be able to go in. And so I was just on the outside. Um, but I'm the one who called everyone there to do that. And mm. um. Yeah, what's that's... going through your mind at that time then will how are you feeling what's, what are you thinking i was hoping i was wrong that's the truth i, I was hoping i was wrong i 
the whole time, the entire drive over to her apartment, all I was thinking was, God, I hope I'm overreacting. Because I, I, you know, I hadn't heard from her all day. And, and I, I remember people kind of like, well, I mean, maybe she's just busy, you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, something feels wrong here. And I don't know how to explain it any other way than that. So I just want you to know that something's wrong. And I, and then, but so to your point of what am I thinking? I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I, I, I'm praying to a God I don't even believe in that I'm wrong. Um, and then, so as you know, the paramedics show up, and you know, it's it's clear that you know she's not alive anymore. You know, I'm pretty sure I screamed. I, you know, frankly, it was a fog. Uh, I'm sure I screamed. I'm confident I screamed at one point. Um, I yelled. My mom was on the phone with me and she's like, your dad's on his way. And, um, one of her friends showed up even, uh, and just kind of looked at me and was like, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry for both, for both of us. I mean, and, and, um, yeah. And that's, and then of course, then everyone's got questions. Everyone's, everyone's wondering, um, you know, what that's like. And all I can think of the moment is like, I wanted to be wrong. I've never wanted to be wrong more in my life. Mm. I mean, you can't, you can't imagine, you even imagine that this is like, okay, there might be something wrong, but I, I don't think you could have imagined that that's what you're walking into. No, it's, I mean, but at the same time, at first, when I first don't hear from her, my hope is, you know, oh, she's, maybe she's just mad at me. Maybe I said the wrong thing. Maybe I, maybe I did something stupid. I'm, I am mm-hmm. stupid most of the time. So it'd be very fair for me to, you know what? I said the wrong thing and she's just, t- you know, taking it out on me. And, and, you know, so those are the things that go through your mind. But eventually you start going, okay, well, okay, this has gone on a little bit longer than I'm, than I'm used to with this. And, and then that's when all the, the doubt and shame and, and fear and everything. And, and I, and I, and, but something about me that's, kind of weird in those moments that's when my brain is like at its most focused mm-hmm. so even even throughout that day i'm rationalizing everything so um at one point i i distinctly remember i called the hospitals i called local hospitals i was like it, it had been raining that day i was like maybe she got in a car accident maybe they didn't find a wallet they don't know who she is they don't have a good way to contact me you know i hadn't i hadn't met a lot of her family at that point so maybe they didn't have a way to contact me but they knew she was okay um you know, and I'm going through the motions of this and all these different things. I think, it, and I think it was my sister. I had gone, gone home to my parents' house and we were sitting there and she kind of looked at me and she's like, you know, why don't you just go over to her place then? Which seems like a super rational thing to do. But in the <laughs> moment, I think I was so afraid that I was like, if I go there and find out that this fear that's been building over the course of my brain is real, then I know that it's never going to be okay again. And so I put that off as, as rational as I wanted to believe I was. I put off the, probably the most rational thing out of fear. And you mentioned, you know, you hadn't met a lot of her family or anything like that. What's, what happens after that then? Is there funeral arrangements? I mean, do are you yeah. involved? I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... I, I want to give her family all the credit in the world. They, they took me. So what had happened was her dad uh, a few months prior was playing a concert um, in a town about two, an hour and a half, two hours from where, where we lived. And we, he was 
he was in a band and we were, were going to watch that. And there was an awful snowstorm that was coming in. So a lot of her family north of the city where this concert was happening didn't come like, oh, we'll catch you. We'll catch you on the next one. So I got to meet her dad and I got to meet, you know, a lot of the guys that, you know, are, that are in the band and have known her for a while, probably considered uncles to her in many ways. Uh, but I didn't get to meet, and I think I got to meet her, meet her step on there. Um, but I didn't get to meet her sisters or siblings and things like that. And so the first time I'm meeting a lot of them is when we're going to clean out her place. I did talk to her dad on the phone the night the night everything happened because I wanted to call him. My hope being, and I don't know the order of events. I don't know if the sheriffs, because when they ultimately did, I believe the sheriffs, the local sheriffs in our town called the sheriffs in his town to reach out to him. But I didn't want him to find out that way. Now, I don't know if I beat them to the punch or not. Um, I, I, I truly don't recall that, but I know that that's the hardest phone call I've ever had to make in my life. Talking to a man. And the best part about Neil, all he cared in the moment was, how am I doing? Neil actually passed away um, from cancer um, a few years ago, but he, that, what a, what a heart someone has to have to be able in that moment when you lost your child no parent should ever have to bury a child. Mm. And he's got that. And in a moment of clarity, thinks to ask me, this boyfriend he's met one time, he wants to know how I'm doing. He wants to make sure I'm okay. He wants to make sure I have everything I need. I mean, I'm not on the board who gets to choose who are saints, but I can't think of a better candidate as far as I'm concerned. I don't think I've really talked about that much. That's interesting. You brought that up. <laughs> so you know, you'd had previously you'd had your mental health difficulties. What what happens then after after something like that happens? Then, well, you know, it's it's interesting because I I imagine I've never really talked to my family about this, but I imagine the natural fear outside of the natural, of course, you feel awful for me, but their fear is, uh, where's this going to lead? Um, but what was, if there's any silver lining, I suppose, is having gone through some moments before you come at an experience like this with a bit of hopes, the wrong word, but you come out of it knowing that, Hey, I've already, I've, I've, I've seen some things that are awful and this is definitely worse, but, I know that I have people around me now. I know that I have people who believe me and me and that I've come out the other side. I, I know that I have love around me and, and I can see those things. Cause when I talk about the period of my life and in 2015 and all the depression, angst and fear and everything that happened was going on in there. My mindset was very simple of I, at this point, I might as well just write myself off. I am, no, I everyone in this world, they will be sad when I go, but they will be better off in the long term. Mm. And you could not convince me in that moment. You, I hear that all the time. It's like, oh, I want to go just tell him that, you know, it's going to be okay. And he has to believe in a future that that is better than this. 
But in that moment, when you are, I heard on one of your other podcasts, someone describe depression like Dementors from Harry Potter. You're yeah, talking about Suzanne. Yeah, yeah. Suzanne, yeah. So yeah. she's talking about that. And because J.K. Rowling inspired a lot of that feeling from mm. depression. Mm. And I could not think of a better description if I tried. But when you're in that feeling with no happiness is in sight, you can't, it, or what did Ron say? It's like, it's if all the happiness had been taken out of existence. Or something. I'll never be happy again, I think, or something. Yeah, I'll never be cheerful again. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he says in the movies anyway. Um, and to me, I mean, that's how it feels. And so this idea of some mystical rainbow in the future is lost on me. It was just lost on me. I'm not going to believe it because I don't believe it's possible. So you're not going to be able to convince me. That's not how you win. To me, what ultimately what it came down to is I needed to lean into all the fear, all the doubt, all the insecurity. And you can apply that logic not just to depression. To me, it's it's anxiety, for instance. You know, I've, I've, I realize as I've gotten older how many issues I have with anxiety. My parents joke about a period of my life where I was a little kid and they, they'd have to sit me down and tell me the plan of the day changed from a normal routine because like I needed to mentally prepare for that. I'm like a toddler. Um, but they joke about it, but it's true. And, and so I, I think I've always kind of dealt with issues that, with anxiety. And I think where it, was, where it becomes crippling, for me at least, I don't want to say this for everybody, but my experience is that anxiety is rooted in fear. It's rooted in this idea that, oh, the world, let's, let's use a specific example. I make a mistake at work. I make that mistake at work. And that leads me to I'm homeless. That's a huge leap. How do you go from one mistake to homeless? But my brain goes, well, I made this mistake. Now my boss is going to notice. Now my teammates are going to notice. Now everyone's not going to believe I'm as smart or as charming or as awesome as I think I am in my job. Now I'm under review. Now I'm not only under review, I'm going to lose my job. Now I lose my job. I can't find another job because no one's going to hire this, this shit stand of a human being. And homeless. That's how it goes. Mm-hmm. And we can rationally, you and I can look in that moment and go, that's ridiculous, Will. What the fuck are you talking about? How, how does that happen? That doesn't change the fact that it feels very, very real for me in that feeling. And so what I learned was rather than trying to just convince myself that I'm crazy and convince myself that I, you know, oh, that's just dumb. Don't, don't think about it like that. No, fuck that. Let's just lean into it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> This, 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 this idea, let's just say that one mistake costs you a job. Let's go there. Let's go there. Let's just lean in. What would you actually do? Well, you know, I evaluate, you know, where am I financially and, you know, what, you know, how, how, how are the bills looking compared against this, compared against that? Okay. Um, I bartended multiple times. I actually bartend one night a week at a brewery right now uh, for my own benefit. And uh, which there's a, there's a funny story of that. Um, we can talk about later, but you know, could I do that for a period of time until I land another role of what I'm looking to do? Um, you know, do I lean more into right? But I, I can problem solve this. And once you start doing that, that's where you can take all of that energy, all that angst, all that fear, all that doubt, and put it into something practical. And the next thing you know, well, fuck them. <laughs> I'm not scared of losing that job. Mm-hmm. And so that one mistake no longer means anything because I have built up a stack of proof that is proven to myself. And so, and it goes back to 
that period of my life where, again, depression, it's like, I have proven that I can come out the other side. So going back, and I know this is long winded, but going back to your original question of, you know, how did my previous mental health experience impact her death? Because I knew I, I had been through something terrible mm. and I can come out the other side. That doesn't change that what I'm feeling is fucking awful and I would never wish it on anyone in the world. But I have belief in myself that I can figure this the fuck out and I will. You know, it's funny at the time I was selling beer for a living. Yeah, it's a fun job. <laughs> I sold beer for a living, but I didn't drink alcohol for a month while selling beer for a living because I knew I was like, that leads down a path that I can, I'm not sure I can come back from. I'm no longer drinking because I enjoy it. I'm drinking to hide from a pain that I feel. I love alcohol. But the mm. second you start asking yourself, people always wonder, you know, how much, how much are you drinking? Is it, you know, impacting your life? I don't think that's the problem. At least not to me. To me, the problem is why are you drinking? Are you drinking because you enjoy Absolutely. it? Because it's fun? Is it a social lubricant? Is it like that? Or are you doing it because you're hiding? From something? Mm. And I don't care if you have one drink, five drinks, 10 drinks, a thousand drinks. The amount doesn't matter if you're doing it because you have to hide or run or numb something. No matter where that spectrum starts, it's going to lead down the destructive path. Hmm. The, the chemical chemical comforter. One hundred percent. Excuse me. One one of the things you mentioned there, Willet, and I think it's a very good point to to clarify. You know, in in those moments where people are contemplating suicide and I've seen it many times in clients and you know many many previous guests on the podcast I grew up in a town that had a very high male suicide rate um I've lost a lot of friends a lot of a lot of lads I grew up with and some very close friends to, to suicide and sorry to hear for, that for a very long time I I considered it very selfish I face so fucking selfish you know uh, and that was my attitude until I started studying what I study and I started talking to people that have attempted suicide and you know thankfully survived but many many times that person truly believes that the people will be better off without them and it's act actually in their minds it's the ultimate selfless act because they're doing it so they're not a burden to the people around them yeah i you know as you described that Because I've talked to a number of people about this. And suicide, I, I don't know how it is in Ireland, but in, in America, it's still very, very taboo in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, mental health has made a lot of positive strides, but suicide's still that area. And I think it's a lot in part because of what you just said. Even if you're someone who's understanding of mental health and wants to grow, you look at suicide and you see that's selfish. And I would never in a million years want to try to invalidate the grief and pain and suffering that you feel as someone who has lost someone to suicide. That is not my mission. I would never, ever want to do that. All I would ask for those people in that moment is think about your own life for a second. Think about where you're at and what it would take right now for you to get to a point where you the only option, the only option that is feasible to achieve peace in some version is to end your own life. What would it take? And you go, oh, well, I mean, I mean, I mean the world would have to come and do all these things. It's, it's unfathomable. Exactly. It's unfathomable. So imagine what 
it, that's not any different for any other person. It, your brain got to a point where the logical and rational are no longer in play. Mm. And you are consumed by fear, doubt, depression. I mean, there's so many factors that can be attributing to this. But all of that outweighs any possible potential explanation and, and fixing and, and problem solving. It's gone. It's gone. That doesn't exist for them anymore. And that's what has to happen for you to get to that point. And, and I'm not here again to say, so woe is them or you, you're wrong for thinking it's selfish. What I'm here to say is take a moment when you start having those feelings, when you, when you, when you know of somebody, you hear a story of someone committing suicide and imagine what agony that person must be feeling to realize that that is the only option they have left. Mm. Think about the position they'd have to be in to get there. It's hard. Mm. When you do yeah, that for a second. Yeah, we spoke about it on the podcast before, and I, I would often say it to, to clients that are, are in that space. Suicide isn't about ending your life. It's about ending that pain that you're in. Yep. And, and just that seems like the only way to do it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because even before that period of um, uh, for mental health for me, so something that not everyone knows about me, um, but I have a condition called hydrocephalus. It is when the cerebral spinal fluid that surrounds your brain, so you have your brain, you have your skull, and in between you have cerebral spinal fluid. Your body, you know, brings it up, drains it out, absorbs it naturally. Mine brings it in and comes out. So I have a shunt that drains out cerebral spinal fluid for me. Um, and the problem is it's a man-made piece of polymer plastic. It breaks. I mean, that's, it's not meant to last forever. Um, I mean, it wasn't all that long ago in the history of the world that if you had what I had, you just died. That's just the way it worked. And so most of us who are alive with it, were the guinea pigs. And there used to be a statistic. I don't know if it's still accurate anymore. So I, so I hope so no one gets too upset about this, but it used to be something along the lines of 60% of the people who have what I have are mentally handicapped to a point where they'll never get to be independent adults. That came from, I believe, the Hydrocephalus Association. So that means 40% are the, are the kind of the exception to the rule. And again, not all that long ago, you died. So very small sample size and only so much research and funding is being done. But I remember when I, I've had six brain surgeries and I'm going to have more, but I had three when I was in high school. And after the second one, there was a moment. So they, they, they replaced the shunt and everything was supposed to be working, but I was just in a pain that, I mean, the only word that, I mean, it's the clearest definition I have to agony. And I looked at my older sister and I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I didn't want to die, but if that was going to be the best alternative, I was okay with it. If we can't fix whatever's wrong with me, I can't do this anymore. And I don't consider myself at that period of my life suicidal, but I, but I, in that moment was when I got to understand the other side of that point I was trying to make before, which is, Think about the amount of pain you have to fucking feel to realize that it, the, you, the, the better alternative, as you pointed out, is, is to die. 
the only way to end your suffering is to mm-hmm. die. That's Jesus. I mean, that's that's brutal. And so, and I imagine that's anybody who's committed suicide. Uh, I imagine that that's the position that they found themselves in. So, again, another an emotional one agony, away. whereas yours was a, a physical agony. And that was a physical agony, but an emotional agony is still agony, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. From from what you've described earlier, Will, uh, it seems like those mental health struggles and and various other struggles you've gone through in your life, whether it's through medical conditions. The therapy that that you've you've had as well helped to develop a resilience that you took into that grieving process. Is that right? You know, I think most people in my life would probably use that word. I always feel a little uncomfortable about it myself because I always looked at it as I didn't really have much of a choice, and I guess I did. We just spoke about suicide, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a John Paul Sartre said that as long as you're alive, you've made a choice because you can always choose suicide. Yep. And so that's that's a really fair point. So I guess I guess resilience would be where it is. But I, you know, I I guess why I don't necessarily want to give myself that credit of resilience is that I know that I wouldn't be here without the people that are in my life. I have, I'm engaged to a woman that I love more than anything else in this world. We're getting married in May. Um, I've got a family that, you know, we have our troubles. Who doesn't? But I know that I could call any one of them at any given time and know that they'd be there for me. I have friends. That's how I measure loyalty. I mean, that to me is I have friends who we don't even necessarily speak all that often anymore. But I know that if I called them right now and said, I need you, they'd be on the first flight here. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences before. You, you talk about, you know, your surgery. I had uh, spinal surgery, and part of that. I heard was you spoke about that. Yeah, yeah. So part of that was having to lie completely still, so I didn't leak spinal fluid that that you don't mm-hmm. lose. But one mm-hmm. of the things, one of the lessons I took from that was very similar to what you mentioned there, and I kind of use that metaphor of you really see who your friends are when your back is against mm-hmm. them. Those yeah. ones, those people that show up, you know, they're the ones. Yeah. I played a lot of sports growing up when I was a kid. And you know, after three brain surgeries in high school, sports were kind of done for me for a <laughs> period of time. Um, and so it was interesting. I don't blame you know anybody, but I, I noticed my friend circle changed really hard. I mean, I wasn't that person anymore. And, and, and those people still were. And so it was kind of like, yeah, you know, I saw who stuck around, who didn't. And again, I don't blame anybody for not. I mean, I get it. We just didn't have the same interests anymore. Mm, but yeah, yeah. you know, are you friends because you're because con- of the convenience? Because you're all together all the time, or are you friends because you actually are there for each other, no matter what? Um, I've got a friend who is a groomsman in my wedding. His his wife is pregnant, and she's nine months is going to be hitting the mark of when our wedding is, and he's still trying to figure out how he can make it to the wedding. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, just be there for the birth of your child. It's okay. Mm. You know? And he's like, no, but I want to try to figure I'm like, I, that tells me everything that I need to know about that friend. Like that, the fact that you're even having that thought yeah, exactly. tells me that you care, you care so much about me. It's, it's wrong. <laughs> I'll tell David, if you're listening, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. Um, I hope he listens to this and hears that. But, but we but, appreciate but the that, gesture. <laughs> Yes, 100%. If you're mm-hmm. there, then that means, I mean, if you're the fact that you're rattling around and playing around with the idea of, well, if I fly in here, I can be home by this time. It's like, 
the fact that you even did that equation tells me everything mm. I need to know. That's all that matters. You sound in a in a good place at the moment, Will. But I suppose for any any of our listeners that may have gone through that grieving process or are currently going through that grieving process, what what would you say to them? You know that has come out the other side of it. I'd say a couple of things. All with the asterisks of you're not going to be able to take any of this to heart. And I understand that. Because if you're going through it, it doesn't matter if it's me or anybody else. Until it feels real for you, until you can realize it yourself that none of it's going to matter. But I'm still going to try anyway. Number one, look into the eyes of everyone in your life and, and watch them when they see you in agony and see if they believe you and see if they're bought in and see if they're willing to do that. Because you'll be able to tell really quick, to your point, who, who the real ones are and who aren't. And the ones who are, are worth investing time with. And if you spend more time with those people in genuine care, the ones who truly care about you, trust them enough to share what's going on in your mind. You would do it for them. So mm. why wouldn't you give them the same courtesy? Mm. And I promise you, if you do that, the world gets a hell, of a, a hell of a lot easier when you don't have to carry it all by yourself. So that's that's the first thing. Second thing, if you are considering going to therapy, I a one hundred percent agree you should. Um, but I understand it's not it's not always feasible for everybody. Maybe it's a time thing, maybe it's a money thing, or available insurance. But if you if you are considering going and are able to go, don't go into it with the mindset that you're a broken toy that needs fixing. Go into it with the mindset of, if nothing else, if the only thing you get out of therapy is a place for you to talk to someone who has objectively no agenda in your life and share your experiences and get real thought. That's a win by itself. Never mm. mind the fact that they can probably educate you on some tools and, and coping mechanisms and things like that. Those are great. But even if nothing else, just a place that you can literally walk into. I still do that with my fiance to this day. We will both look to each other and say, do you want to vent or do you want to problem solve? <laughs> And sometimes you want to problem solve, and that's fine. But sometimes all I need is just a minute to just get all this shit out of my mouth, mm. and I'm going to move on with it. But it felt amazing just saying it out loud to somebody else who, who cares enough about me to want to hear it. So listen to the people who care about you and lean on them. You're not a burden. They want to be there for you. You would do it for them. And the second is go to therapy, and when you do so, go with good intentions of actually trying to get better and go so and go into it with an honest heart and know that that person that is their only job is to care about you. And then the last piece is there I, to me, and I'm, I'm by no means an expert. I make that abundantly clear when I wrote the book and I make it abundantly clear anytime I talk to people. Mm. But I believe personally that you can find other versions of therapy in life too. There are therapeutic moments for me. Something that I love doing, I love writing. That's number one. Um, I found outside passions in terms of actually tonight, I'm going to go perform stand-up comedy. I, it's a, it's, it's a weird outlet for me that Mm. gets me to challenge my brain in a way that I'm not used to. I learned in therapy that I enjoy chaos. (laughs) That's just a weird trait of myself. I am more high functioning in chaos than I am with peace. 
And so, as you pointed out, I'm in a fairly happy place. And that's where actually I started, restarted my mental health journey was I had everything I wanted in life. And I could, yet I kept having flashbacks and night terrors about the night Alice and I. And then we're now years removed from that. There's no reason I should necessarily be having those on a regular basis every night. There's one we moved to Florida. You used the word yourself, Will, trauma. Trauma. But, but, but I believe what was happening, that's so what my therapist and I talked about, was it was manifesting itself because my brain craved chaos. And I didn't have any in my day-to-day life. And so this is a way of manifesting was bringing me back to the most traumatic thing in my life to give me the chaos that I so crave. So instead, what I started doing is finding other outlets for that chaos that are more healthy. Because as we said at the beginning of this podcast, if I'm left to my own devices, I will (laughs) self-sabotage. That's what we'll do. So I do stand-up comedy. And part of my process in doing stand-up comedy is I don't make up what I'm going to say until about two hours before I go on stage. Wow. Because I crave that, that I because I because I, I don't care if I fuck up, and that's fun for me. I also bartend one night a week at a brewery. Why? I, it's not for the money. It's our slowest night of the week. It's because I enjoy being in that environment where it can be kind of fast paced, and I'm talking to people, and I'm getting that social outlet. So, find your other. That my last piece of advice would be: find if you can't go seek therapy, find other things that are therapeutic for you. Maybe that's just dancing in your living room to 90s hip-hop. That's fantastic. Man, after but, my own heart, Will. I like that. <laughs> <sighs> this has been great. Yeah. I love I love talking to people like you. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's many psychotherapists that you'll see with a Transformers t-shirt on. So uh, we do things a little bit differently <sighs> around here. <laughs> I love that. Tell us a little bit about the book, Will. A little bit about the book. So... Uh, I know we. I, I, I know. Listen to you. I know we've got segments. I know. I know we've had segments of the book. <laughs> I, I can hear in the life advice. But tell us 100%. a little bit more about it. Absolutely. So the book's called One Step Forward. Ideally, in the right direction is the subtitle. Uh, <laughs> it is actually already available on pre-order if you have a Kindle. Um, I'm putting it. It'll be out on June second. Uh, that's my tentative date. Uh, sometime this summer. Ideally, June second though. Mm. Um, and really what it's about i make it abundantly clear in the beginning i'm not an expert i never necessarily want to be ever seen as an expert in any of this all i am is someone who cares enough to try to drive the conversation one step forward in mental health so i talk about things that i experienced and things that i learned you know we talked about that the idea of anxiety leaning into the fear a little bit versus the other side of it uh versus you know being so trying to convince yourself that oh i can figure this out no, let's lean into the fear a bit. Uh, I talk about I talk about suicide. I talk about um, my period of depression. I talk about some different mindset changes uh, that have really helped guide a lot of my life. For instance, like falling in love with the process more than the outcome. Mm. You know, more often than not, we we care so much about trying to achieve whatever outcome it is. But I tell you what, man, if you just love doing it over and over again, regardless of the result, usually the results will just kind of follow <laughs> naturally. Because mm-hmm. you loved it. That's why that's why every band's best album is their first album. Yeah. <laughs> it always is. For the love. Yeah. Exactly. You were doing it when you were working that shit job mm-hmm. that you hated doing. And you had a little bit of energy left in the day. And you went to your garage with your buddies and you wrote an album. And it was magical because you didn't have any expected outcome. You just mm-hmm. did it because you loved Same, it. As you, as you mentioned with all the 90s hip hop, you know, all the rappers, they go shit when they get money. 
<laughs> oh yeah, because all you can talk about that's all, all you want is all the money. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're exactly. not hungry okay. anymore. <laughs> yeah, and there's something to be said for that. You know, mm. they talk about with comedy the same thing. It's, mm. You know, you get to a certain level of success and you you're not relatable anymore. I don't want to hear about your scuffle with your butler. You know, <laughs> like I can't relate to that. I don't know what that's like. Um, and so, and, and some of them have managed to do it pretty well, but it's the same problem. But that first album, that first time you hear, you know, Eddie Murphy or, or Chris Rock, mm. the first, their first set, it's incredible. It's lightning in a bottle. Mm. Why? Because they spent four years doing it for nothing money to build this perfect set or build this perfect album or whatever the case is. And they put their reps in and they built something incredible. And yeah. so that's that's just one of the mindset, you know, other things like controlling the controllables in your life. We can only control so much. I can't control if my significant other cheats on me. What I can control is what I bring to the relationship. Mm. So you do those things, you know, maybe you you know, you follow it and you know, because I, I want to dispel some of the thoughts on self-help. I have no problem if your thing is my 10 steps to finding happiness. If that works for you, that's great. But it doesn't quite relate to me the way I wanted it to. Uh, I would rather hear someone and draw ideas and come up with my own conclusions. And so that's the kind of book I wanted to write. So I don't pretend that it's for everybody. I mm. don't pretend that I'm an expert. I'm just someone who's going to talk about some things that maybe most people are uncomfortable talking about in the hope that either it relates to them or it makes them more apt to share that with other people in their lives. Mm. Where can people find you online then, Will? Is there a website or social media? How yep. can people Yep, so that's a great Yeah, so I, I do have I have Instagram, Facebook. Uh I and right now I don't even have them set up as like author pages. They're just my personal ones. Feel mm. free to send me a so send me a like. I need to probably create my own. Uh but for now I'm I'm very comfortable with my own personal pages on Instagram and Facebook. Um I, the battle you know not is still a live uh, uh WordPress account that is available for people for my blog. Um, I haven't written as much there because I've been focusing on the book. The mm. book is available in, in the Kindle store and it'll be available on Amazon uh, in June 2nd, like I said. And then as that's kind of working on, I'll probably develop it more into a cohesive website. So before we leave the words of wisdom with Will, he's already given us gems. We've already got sneak peeks into his book that's coming out soon. So what a lovely guy and uh, what a fascinating topic. Um, Will has been through so much. And he is the voice of resilience. Uh, I think his, his story is a testament to that. And hope that no matter how low you are, no matter how close you are to considering giving it all up, things can turn around. So before we leave all those words of will, just a quick plug on the social media, folks. You know what it is. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All of those are at STMH Podcast. That's the handle on all of them, as is also the handle on YouTube. So please click like, subscribe, drop a comment, get notified. All of that stuff, all, all the stuff that everyone on YouTube does. I'm not, I'm not a YouTuber. I just put the videos up on on YouTube. Um, so please do hit subscribe, give a share, and any of the social media posts you might see. That's really going to help. That's going to help the algorithm. That's going to show it to more people. And when we do that, we can reach more people, and when we can reach more people. We can save lives, as this podcast has done countless times in the past, and that's something that we take very seriously. If you haven't checked out the website, it is www.stmhpodcast.com. There you can sign up to the newsletter. You can also search through all our previous episodes and um, email as well if you want to. That is hello at stmhpodcast.com. The podcast will be back in two weeks' time, so you know what to do, folks. We'll be back. Same bad time, same bad channel. But in the meantime, look after yourselves. 
and look after each other. One of the things we ask of every guest that comes on, Will, you've given us plenty already. I know, as I said, I know. I, I know a fucking bit from a plug from a book when I hear it. I know it. <laughs> and there's been and there's been some good and there's been some good stuff already. But one of the other things we ask of every guest that comes on is to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings. Some motto or creed that they live life by, something that they've taken from this life so far. We spoke about resilience here and how far you've got. Was there anything you'd share with the listeners and viewers out there? My favorite quote, and I, and I don't even know who said it. I think when I read it, it said anonymous. Never be a prisoner of your past. It was just a lesson, not a life sentence. That, to me, sits in my brain every single day. Every time I look back in my life and think of how much of a shitbag I used to be. And 10 years from now, I'll probably feel the same way about me right now. But that's okay because all of it was meant to just be a lesson. I don't have to put myself in a lifelong, lifelong prison simply because I felt like I was a shitbag. And learn from that and move forward and be a better me today. Health.